and we're going to start at the beginning of Mark 2. I shall just read it through. So, so in Mark 2, verse 1, it says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the man that was lying on it. Lowered the man that was lying on. Sorry, lowered the mat that the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, "Son, your sins are forgiven." Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. He got up, he took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. We have never seen anything like this. And just on that last point, when they talk about never seeing, the Greek is actually seeing and believing. It's we have never understood anything like this it's it's remarkable to them having looked at this story for the last few days i just actually struck me that if you're if you're not a follower of jesus and sometimes you look at these this this account in the bible and you think oh maybe it's made up who would make this story up to show that jesus was real we're going to make a story up that you'd lower somebody through the roof it's crazy it, it just comes out with actually the authenticity of it is so much in the extreme unbelievableness of it in a way that actually these people would go to the level to take their friend and they would take him up onto the roof of this building in whichever way, Luke's Gospel talks about removing tiles, but whatever way they somehow came through the roof and lowered their friend at the feet of Jesus. Uh, And it's striking. And and the thing that, of course, is the challenge to it is do we have friends like that? Do we have friends that would go to that extreme for us. But the challenge really is, is do we have friends that know how desperate we are that we need somebody to lift the roof and lower us into Jesus? And to do that, of course, is a challenge because actually we have to share our lives. We have to share what's going on with our friends for them to know what we need, to know our need for Jesus. Um, And that's not always easy. Um, as, as we sort of think about that. But so in this account, so as this man is lowered, this all goes on and this land is lowered to Jesus, Jesus sees their faith. And the question is, actually, whose faith is Jesus seeing? Is it the, the paralyzed man? Well, possibly, but it must be more than that because he sees their faith. And actually, of course, he is seeing the faith of the men who've gone to the extreme to get their friend to Jesus. And he says, your faith, that's the words he says, he, he, he says, uh, he says, your faith 
Jesus saw their faith and he says, the power of the man's son, your sins are forgiven. So this man has been brought in and Jesus says, wow, you guys, you really believe in this. Your faith has brought this man to me and I'll forgive his sins and then I will heal him and he gets up and he walks like this. And of course in, in that story, Jesus is actually making a point here. The, the, the Pharisees are going, well actually Jesus, you can't forgive sins because who are you? Only God forgives sins and Jesus is saying, I am God. I have the authority on earth to forgive sins. I can do this. And he makes that point very, very clear in here, which, of course, right early on in Mark's gospel is quite a challenge to the authorities and it leads the way to where Jesus ultimately ends up. So as he says, to the end of this, this whole way has gone on, and then Jesus does this, and the man gets up and walks, and the people say, we've never seen anything like this. A physical seeing, they see it, but it leads to a belief. It leads to actually an understanding. It becomes a knowing. And our challenge is when we read these stories, do we know this? Do we read it? Do we see it? But actually, do we know it? Is it come into our heart and actually say, yes, this is what the kingdom is like? And do we have friends? Do we have friends that we're open and honest with that we can actually go there who would lower us through the roof? Um... Go for the lengths. And I was really blessed actually in New Wine this week. I, I, three times I went to, um, well, a few times I went up in prayer ministry, but three times out of nowhere, a brother from somewhere in my past came up to me and offered to pray. I was really struck by that. Three different places, people, somebody I know from family, somebody I knew from where I used to live, somebody I knew from study. Out of nowhere, they came and said, Andrew, can I pray for you? And it was remarkable because they knew more about me than everybody else around me ever did. And actually they could pray into a situation. And, and that's, that's, that's a journey and that's hard. That's really hard to do, but we, we need to do that. We need friends. And our faith of our friends is, is, is valuable in our, in our journey. So that's our first person we're going to look at. And I want to carry on and turn on a few pages, um, to 1007, uh, where Jesus is a secret agent. No, he's not actually, but, uh, so 1007, we're going to mark 5, 24 to 34. So here we see another occurrence. This is a different occurrence. This is now somebody else who's desperate for Jesus, but she's desperate on her own, in her own sense. So 24. So, so just the context here, Jesus has just agreed to go to the house of um, one of the uh, leaders of the synagogue whose daughter is dying, and he's agreed to go there. And on the way... This event happens. So Jesus is, is heading somewhere. You know, he's busy. He's got stuff to do. And you'll see what happens here. So 24, at the top right-hand side. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed round him. And a woman who was there, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus... She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned round in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking round to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, 
came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So there we have a different lady now. So this lady has been suffering from bleeding for 12 years. She's, she's been suffering. She's been through all the doctors and everything else. And, and when you read this story at first accounts, it looks like everybody knows this woman's got a problem. And oh, this woman's at last she can get. But actually that can't be the case. Because under the law, under the Torah, and go back to Leviticus, a woman who was bleeding was unclean. Anybody she touched would be unclean. And that meant that they would have to bathe in baths, uh, to, to bath in water. And Jerusalem was full of baths that had special steps that you could go down into, bathe, come back up the other side so you didn't touch anybody who was going down into the water because otherwise you became unclean again. And you'd come up and then you would be unclean till evening. So this woman is in a crowd. Now that's just not acceptable because actually everybody she touches in that crowd becomes unclean. So she's taken a massive gamble to put herself in this situation. She's gone out anonymously. She's hidden behind a mask. She's got a problem that has has been fighting her for years and years. And she hears, and again that word, here, it's like the word see. When you talk about it in Greek, actually it's, I've heard this and I believe this. Something in me tells me that this is what Jesus does I've not just heard it, I really believe it. And I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to push through a crowd. I'm going to make everybody unclean. And even more so, I'm going to go and try and touch the rabbi and make the rabbi unclean. Whoa, this is where all our advisors would go, no, I think this probably isn't a good idea. Maybe you shouldn't do this. But she says, no, I know Jesus can heal me. I am going to break lots of rules because that's what I believe he would do. And it's funny, actually, I was going back to New Wine, I keep talking about it, but a few years ago, I remember somebody saying, uh, one of the leader's wives, she said, oh, when there's prayer ministry time, just go up, she said. If they're asking for pregnant women, you're a man, just go anyway and, and just say you didn't hear. She said, you know, why haven't you? And, and I feel this woman comes out like that. She's going, well, actually, everybody would tell me this isn't what you do. You don't push through the crowd. You are unclean. She says, I'm going to get to Jesus. And she pushes through a cloud. She's not visible to anybody. She's hidden. The mask is around her. And three things happen when she gets to Jesus. The first is, power leaves Jesus. Now, if we were here in June, we did some Greek. Can anybody remember the Greek for power? Dynamo, dunamis, dunamis. That's the same power we were talking about when we talked about the Holy Spirit in Thessalonians. Jesus says, I felt power leave me. And the disciples go, you what? Can you see how many people? This is like tube train in the morning. You know, everybody's like this, all crammed in, and Jesus is in the middle of it, and Jesus said, I felt power leave me. What strikes me about that is that that power didn't leave him to everybody else. It's not like he's a 10,000 volt live terminal and everybody who touches him gets zapped. In all this massive crowd, one person, the power leaves. So therefore, by definition, the second thing that happened is the power entered this woman. So the power of God, the power of Jesus entered this woman because she had pushed her way through to touch Jesus. 
And the third thing that happened is instantly she knew she was healed. She didn't have to go and check. She knew that she had received power from Jesus. And in a moment, she said, I've been healed. And she thought she got away with it. But she didn't, because Jesus said, whoa, what's going on? And he turned around and he said, somebody touched me. Somebody received power from me. And she comes back and she falls at his feet, trembling with fear and told him the whole truth. Because she knows she's stepped out of line here. There's a lot of people in this crowd who are now officially unclean. Jesus is not in the slightest bit interested in that in this moment. And he says to her, he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. So again, faith we did in the Greek, pistis, your faith. This woman's faith, this woman's belief in Jesus, he describes as the reason she is healed. And again, healed, that word is saved, rescued. This woman has been rescued from 12 years of intense suffering, disease with torturous pain. That's what this is saying. And she's gone there, and she's pushed her way through. So the question is, are we in that? Do we hide behind a mask sometimes? Do we have things? We talk about our friends, and it's very easy to, to go to our friends when the critical things happen, when things go wrong, we ask for prayer. But have we got underlying things in our lives that we don't share? That's really tough. That's really hard. Do we take that journey? Do we hide behind it? But actually, are we willing to push through? Are we willing to say, actually, in the end, if Jesus has got what I need, I'm going to go. Rules or no rules. Cleanliness or uncleanliness. I want some of what you've got, Jesus. I want. And so we can never be unclean, too unclean to go to Jesus. We can never be too unworthy to push through to Jesus. We can never have something we've had for too long. We can never have something that's not known, that Jesus isn't there and willing to meet us in that place. So the third, the third person we're going to go to is in uh, Mark chapter 7 on page 1010. And we're going to go to 724 to 30. So Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as he heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia, Phoenicia, I believe. <coughs> Don't ask my children about my pronunciation, because I, uh, I think it's Phoenicia. Phoenicia, is that right? She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Jesus says, first let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. So we're in deep now. We're in really deep. We're right into... Jesus' ministry, when you read through Mark's Gospel, deliverance stands just as much as a ministry of Jesus' healing. 
It's almost as many times in this gospel that Jesus does this. And we, we have to come to it. We have to address it and say, what's going on? We can put it on a shelf and say, oh, it was a worldview once there. But do we really believe that? I just want to challenge that a little bit. But first of all, there's, some, there's of course, some, some interesting things going on here. This woman's a Greek. She's not a Jew. This is a non-believer. Whoa, hang on a minute. What do you think Jesus is going to give you? She, she says, and he raises a question, you know, the theology of that we're not going to go into. But actually, she doesn't argue. She says, but even I, a Greek woman, can receive from you the crumbs from under the table. I'm not a Jew, but actually I can. And Jesus goes, oh, that's a good argument. Yes. And in an instant, this daughter who's not even present is relieved of her demon, is delivered uh, as the account goes. So again, we see desperation. We see somebody stepping across the line from the Gentiles into the Jewish territory, to the Jewish rabbi that she has Again, as soon as this woman had heard, as soon as she heard about him, she said, right, you can deliver my daughter from this evil. So she goes, and she puts up with this argument, and she says, no, I believe that I can have this. She's desperate. She's desperate for her daughter to be delivered of a demon. So, yeah, so, so this, this, do we, what do we take all this stuff? When we read it, we see Jesus time and time again bringing in the kingdom. We see him healing people. We see him delivering people. Do we read it? And do we see it? And do we hear it? But do we see it as though we believe it? Do we hear it as though we believe it? And are we desperate enough to want some of it for ourselves, for our friends? Are we desperate enough to take our friends into these situations to take them to Jesus' healing? Are we desperate enough in whatever shame, whatever secret we hold behind, are we willing to, to go that, that step? And are we desperate enough for our children? I, when I read this, and I, I planned to do this before, but even in the last week someone told me about a very good friend, a, a relative's daughter who was suffering from depression and self-harming and trying to commit suicide. I read this and I wonder whether actually are we equipped for what our children are having to suffer, having to face? We've got an epidemic out there. Are we real about the evil in the world? And don't get me wrong, it's not everything. I'm not trying to say mental health is, is, is demonic. No, I'm not saying that. But is the devil at work in our world? Is the demonic that Jesus teaches about, is it real? Absolutely real. I believe it's absolutely real. And I believe we need to be equipped to do that. We need to believe some of this stuff and step into the fray, step into the battle and fight the battle. Be desperate to say, actually, Jesus, you are the victor. You are the one that can overcome all this stuff. You can overcome our diseases. You can overcome the enemy, the devil within us, and lead us to that. And I'm saying this woman is, is desperate for that. So really, that's, that's what I wanted to do. Just take those three people. I just wanted to challenge you to read those stories, to look at that gospel account and go, what's going on here? 
What are these people? What's driving these people to Jesus? You know, maybe you can look at these and you think, yeah, these are friends of mine. Maybe they're friends of yours sometimes. I wish they were friends of mine more often. I wish actually I had the faith to go sometimes. I wish I had the courage to share sometimes with my brothers. I wish I had the willingness to step out for my children or for other people's children and go to Jesus and go, I don't understand what is going on, but I know, Jesus, that you can deal with this as all these people did. And so, you know, are we asking, do we need to ask for more of that? Do we need to ask, stretch out and say, Lord, give me more of that faith? I, I, it's, it's healing. I, my, my faith is high. I don't know why I preach on healing. I find it so hard because we know it doesn't always happen. But what's our faith like? Again, two weeks ago, I was at a seminar on New Wine. I went to a healing seminar and the guy was doing stuff I wasn't quite steady with. And then the Holy Spirit reminded me that this was a chap from Germany who'd come the previous year, and I got to know him quite well because he'd come every day to the venue that I was working in, as on team, with his children. So I got to know him quite well. And I sat in this thing, and my immediately my judgment stuff starts coming up, and all my doubts start rising up, and the Holy Spirit said to me, you know this guy, he's good. What's your problem? Ooh. I was undone. In a moment, I was completely undone. It was like, sorry. We, we're too quick to judge. And I think we, you know, we shouldn't go into these gospel accounts with a, oh, well, that's sort of what it like is. We should go in with them. Actually, this is real. I can't be a follower of Jesus if I don't believe this is what he does. And Jesus doesn't go. He leaves us the Holy Spirit. He leaves us that dunamis, that same power that passed from Jesus to that woman is the power that the Holy Spirit has been left on earth for us so let's let's be hungry for it so I'll hand over to the band we'll just have some songs